Welcome to my monthly podcast titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I interview people about wisdom, how to find meaning on a daily basis, a concept I call breadcrumb legacy. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. I also say I'm out to retire the word retirement. We're not retiring from life, but we're moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. Today, I'm interviewing Carol Orsburn. Carol is a recognized thought leader in the field of conscious aging and author of over 30 books translated into 15 languages. Very impressive. <laughs> Including her newest book, The Making of an Old Soul, Aging as the Fulfillment of Life's Promise, and her other book, Older, Wiser, Fiercer, The Wisdom Collection. Orsburn won the Gold and the Nautilus Book Awards in the category of Aging Consciously. For the past 40 years, she's been in a compelling voice of her generation, interviewed on Oprah, The Today Show, CBS Morning News, The New York Times, The Shift Network, and many others. Well, welcome uh, to the show. Carol. Thanks, Jan. It's so <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, and again, I, I always like to mention for more information on Carol, you can see the bio attached to this podcast. And um, yeah, welcome to the series. Well, I'm really looking forward to this. And I met Carol years ago at the Saging International Conference and was immediately struck by her spirit and um, intellect and uh, I was just I would go to any workshop Carol put on so I'm thrilled to be interviewing her today and um, I think I'm just going to start off by asking how did you get into this space Carol because truly you've been in this space longer than almost everybody I've met you know <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's true. I'm, I'm sort of a prodigy, I guess, in my own way. <laughs> well, what happened was I, uh, I began writing books. I was a businesswoman, a marketer, and um, writing books uh, about business, conscious, age, uh, conscious business. I felt that spirituality and business went well together. You know, you need faith, you need trust, you need hope, all that kind of stuff. And um, then as th so that was back in my 30s, that's how you write 30 books. You start in your 30s, yeah. right? <laughs> and then as I went through every life stage, I took the same principles that I had been applying to business to everything that I was going through in my life. So, you know, I, I at one point um, I had breast cancer and I, I uh, wrote a book about that. I needed resilience. I wrote a book about that and so on and so forth. Uh, the interesting thing, I guess, about my life is that I got my education after I wrote all the books. So oh, about, <laughs> about halfway into um, writing all these spiritual books, I thought, huh, you know, I'd like to go to a divinity school and then I'd like to get my doctorate in religion. So as a second career, late life career, uh, I, I dropped out of business and studied adult and spiritual development which is the areas how do people grow and change through life mm -hmm. and and do I stand behind what I've been teaching right right <laughs> and and I did um but I got the language for it and I learned how I fit in 
um, when I got my doctorate, so I was 50, I was the Dean's Award, a straight A's. I, I was an awesome, awesome graduate. They were so proud of me, but I could not get a job interview because I was too, sure. too old for a tenure track. Sure. You know, they didn't want to invest money and guarantee me for life when I was already 50. Right. So um, I, I was just getting, um, I was teaching ethics all over the place, but as a um, adjunct. Yeah. And I needed money, you know, right. getting towards retirement. So I went back to marketing and PR and started helping corporations market to the boomer de- generation. So I worked with Ford. I've, I worked with um, AT&T. I've, I worked with just AARP even. I worked with everybody, helping them understand how boomers were aging. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that worked really well for quite a while until I, I, um, I aged out of the category because a lot of what we were teaching back then, so we're talking about, oh, maybe 10 years ago, and the marketers were teaching how to exploit boomers' fear <laughs> <laughs> and how to make midlife feel like it was going to last forever. Sure. You know, those kinds of things. And I was getting the personal, uh, partly because of the conscious aging movement mm-hmm. and the saging people, I was beginning to get a glimpse of the fact that aging has a purpose and meaning of its own and was not an addendum to life we should postpone. Uh, it was really something to embrace. Yes. And, um, uh, and then I went through a phase of embracing age gracefully. And I thought, this is not me. I am not a graceful person. I'm a fighter, you know? And um, uh, I felt that to really own aging as a spiritual stage in life and as something to aspire to put me at odds against most of society. Well, that's and what first- I was going to say. You're fighting against society. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and that's why my first book on the subject was called Fierce with Age. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, I, I didn't become angry or anything. Oh. I just, I just had to call upon courage to do what my gut was telling me was the right way to grow older. Right, exactly. And, um, and that's your, your newsletter, or your blog also, right? Fierce with Age? Yes, Fierce with Age was the first. And um, my most recent book, I, I, I morphed it a little bit. My most recent book before the one I've written just now was called Older, Wiser, Fiercer. Yes. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's too many people think of, you know, aging as serenity or aging gracefully as marginalization. You know, you should just be happy with a big smile on your face and, and not, um, upset any, uh, apple carts or anything, (laughs) but that's not me. No. No. And um, well, what I want to say is I've read several of your books. I've read the one on resilience and I re- you know, I've read at least two of your books and you're a great storyteller. And I love that. Um, Yay. But I also think, you know, you're onto something in terms of because you're a fighter. I mean, what I've realized in the saging movement or conscious eldering or now I think they call it the conscious aging network or something um, but when you take people like John Erickson and yourself and John Robinson, I mean, other people, right. you know, it's that stage in our life when we should like climate change. I mean, we should 
be fighting for that for our children and grandchildren and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's why I'm a little careful about the world, the word fighting and fierce, just because uh, I I think it's a struggle in this world to get in touch with love. And I think love is the radical stance. Sure. We're, we're trying to teach our children to love. Uh-huh. And sometimes you have to be tough to love, you, you know, to, to, again, resist all the messages that we get from society that, um, you know, that we don't matter and this life stage doesn't matter. And um, I, I like that. I think if I were to rename my whole shtick now, I think sure. I would, I, I prefer to think of it as, I think maybe I, I like being wild and free. I think that's probably better. You know, I, I like that sense of like, um, a poem came out many years ago about how when I'm old, I'm gonna wear purple. Yes, I remember you know? that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's more along the lines of, of saying, boy, I have somehow managed, and it hasn't been easy to move beyond people's judgments of not only aging, but of me personally. You know, what are my tastes and what do I wanna do? And how do I wanna dress? And how do I wanna be at this age? You know, what do I love and how do I wanna love? Uh-huh. And, and um, I, I have found out that I am more courageous than I used to be in terms of speaking my mind to people. Um, and they, you know, they, again, you know, societal stereotypes make the older person who speaks their mind and mind into somebody who's like a crank or or senile or something you know um but uh that's what i'm saying it's sort of like i'm fighting for revising the stereotypes so that our generation can speak our minds and and tell our truth and know that it's not something wrong with us right you know and, and you're so right i mean the stereotypes have been so strong for so long you know um, either grumpy old men or, you know, kind, uh, meek women, you know, something right. like that. So um, I think you're onto something for sure. Or the crazy old lady, the crazy yes. old lady. Yeah. The bag lady. So we all, we all, we were all terrified of becoming the bag lady. Yes. That, there you go. <laughs> well, you've been in this space for a long time and, and this series is called Becoming a Sage and I focus on wisdom um, actually, towards the end, I want to ask you some specific questions that I'm interested in for the work that I'm doing. But, um, you know, how, so what are your current thoughts? We will get into your book. I want to get into your latest book. But what are your current thoughts now on the boomer generation since we're kind of like even aging out of, <laughs> you know, the youngest boomers are, um, I read something the other day about the youngest boomers now have hit uh, you know, their retirement age or something like that. So, I mean, just what are your current thoughts? Because you've been following this, you've been involved in it, writing about it. Um, you know, before we get into your book, just what are your kind of thoughts at this point about what's happening? Yeah, well, I have been writing about the boomer generation since I was in my 30s. So, you know, it's just, I've been writing about aging boomers since I was 50, but now I'm 73. And I got a chill down my spine the other day. I realized my next birthday, I'm going to be 74. I mean, it makes sense. But I think at this age, you get stuck at whatever your age is. You know, it's like, yeah. um, I thought 73 was old. Wow, 74 is older. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, 
what I think is that um, Wade Clark Roof, who's a sociologist, he, he tagged us to be that we were a generation of seekers back when we were in our teens and 20s. And I think that's true. I think there's been many of us, obviously not all of us, but many of us in this, of this generation have been looking for deeper meaning pretty much since we were um, teenagers. And um, the thing that I began to realize, uh, and we are gonna talk about the book, but a couple months into the um, quarantining around COVID and being home all alone, having lots and lots of time to think, uh, I was just consumed with this one question, which was, um, I've been seeking all my life, am I, am I ever gonna find it? And with all the bad news that's happening, I felt farther away than ever. And so the question that descended upon me is, okay, I have been progressing through life for six, seven decades. Where's the arrival? You know, I just, I just felt like I, I'm, a, I'm a life stage development expert for God's sakes. Gail Sheehy, who wrote Passages, told me I had written the best book. Oh, about, wow. about about aging. Um, and I still hadn't, I mean, I myself just didn't feel like mm -hmm. I was ever going to arrive and, and why was it eluding me? And maybe it was eluding our, I started to get the feeling it was eluding a bunch of us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is my feeling is that, um, let, me, let me spin the positive, is that we are seekers and we are expecting and demanding a lot of life and we're not going to stop until we get it uh-huh and and um uh skipping ahead we'll, we'll we'll loop back to my book but uh what i realized uh when i had a mystical experience is that i was i had woken up suddenly to an arrival and that i wasn't alone i realized that that um while there are so many shadows and dark sides that are have descended upon our generation that somehow there is sort of also a giant awakening going up, yes. going on right now amongst many of us. So I'm very optimistic about our generation, um, but I, you know, we can't tell the story about the book unless I first tell you how depressed I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into that, I, I think one question I have is you are such a strong voice and you definitely have the social credibility uh, you know, you've got the content, you have the degrees, you have, so why can't, and, and I I think I'm correct in saying that Gail Sheehy passed away, isn't that correct? Yes, she did. Not too long ago. And actually her work has been kind of criticized. I've read uh, some, you know, that, that we don't pass through these. Actually, have you read Bruce Feiler's book on transitions, life transitions? No. no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should, you should look at that because he's pretty critical of of her work and um, and it's research based. He writes for the New York Times. It's called Life Transitions. Um, gosh, now I can't think of the subtitle. But anyway, Bruce Feiler. And um, but with your credentials and your so your credibility and your content and um, why can't you be the spokesperson now for this age group and get back on Oprah, the Today Show? <laughs> I mean. Um, you know, it seems like you should be sought after as one of the voices that we need to hear, especially since you and others are really in this movement 
to change the narrative, to change the stories, the stereotypes. And Oprah, given her age, it seems like she would eat this up. Well, um, interesting. First of all, I'm thrilled to be on the Jan Fried show. So. <laughs> well, you're very kind. You're very kind. Um, uh, going on Oprah was one of the worst experiences of my life. So I really? don't, I don't aspire to go back. Okay. Um, okay. She put me on a panel of people and then instigated us fighting with each other. Oh, not that's that. no. Um, that was one of my earlier books, and I was I was talking about. Uh, against superwomen that we ha we should have balance in our life okay. and and she then she put a superwoman who thinks that we're betraying feminism if we don't go out there and you know yeah she, she put four people together and and set us fighting with each other yeah I don't that like might that might not be who she is right now yeah but um you know Jan after 50 years of marketing and uh 30 book tours <laughs> and every show you could possibly imagine. Um, when I I, 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 did, I wasn't going to write anymore because it's, I think it's irresponsible to write a book and then not be willing to market it. But I am really done marketing. Uh -huh. and, but this book just begged, begged to be written. And then it, then it was birthed. And I looked at this poor little baby and I thought, what am I going to do with you? And uh, my daughter, my daughter gave me great advice. She said, Mom, just do half of what you used to do and do it half-heartedly. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> and oh. this, <clears throat> this might be the book that really takes on a life of its own. And, you know. Well, you know, it's like, I, I don't like, I don't like the whole paradigm. To me, if you're going to be a spiritual teacher. Yeah. If you're also an Uber marketer, the messages don't match. Um, uh, the person that can be, the person I was at my last book five years ago, well, my last big book was an Uber marketer and I was writing about things I wasn't living. Now I'm actually living it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so just to, to finish up what, how I marketed this book is I sent it to everybody I love uh -huh. or respect uh -huh. and didn't follow up with anybody. Uh -huh. I just, I just sent a, a, a newsletter around or offered it. And, um, and I've sat back then to see who, who is interested. And it has been the happiest yeah. marketing experience of my life. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, let's shift into the book. Okay. So this book, I want to hear about it. Um, again, the making of an old soul aging as the fulfillment of life's promise. And I had a brief conversation with Carol recently. And um, so I'd like you to share where did the inspiration come? How did it come about? And, and tell us what is the making of an old soul? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, absolutely. Well, um, I'll start with the experience. Uh, as I said, it was about a couple months into COVID. And um, the first of my good friends came down with COVID in New York and mm -hmm. I, I was in Tennessee and felt very helpless and isolated. Um, we also have three senior dogs and, and uh, all three passed away during COVID. Um, that's what happens to old people who have old dogs. So I don't take it personally, but it was a blow. It was multiple blows um, and all the environmental stuff and all the racism stuff. Um, about two months into COVID, I, I went outside uh, I had been trying to think of where can I, I needed to walk and I needed to walk outside in nature without my mask. 
And I came up with the idea of walking at the cemetery. And sure enough, there was nobody there. And I was able to take my mask off for the first time uh, and breathe the air and, and feel the trees. And uh, I had arrived in such a depressed state, but within almost the minute I arrived and took my mask off, I was flooded with this feeling that um, my, my doctoral studies were um, all about life stages. And I should read this man's work because perhaps he and I agree. Uh, and maybe not because I, I, the vision I had was so um, visceral and mystical and most academics don't go there. So, I mean, I think that's, that's the gift of this book is being able to meld the social sciences with a mystical experience. Yes. But I felt like all of a sudden I saw that my life to that moment was a push from behind. And the push from behind was fear, um, sense of separation, feeling um, um, just at odds and ungrounded in, in certain ways, even though I had a lot of success and joy in my life, really. But there was just like this, this push from behind that was always saying there's something more and something better and something different. And what happened for me at that cemetery is that I felt this new force. I realized it had been with me all my life, but the new force was drawing me forward. Instead of pushing me from behind by fear, the new force was drawing me forward by love. Huh. And, and I realized that this was a pivot that I had seen before. I'd recognized it um, as I had set, sat uh, beside the beds of people who had been uh, dying. Mm -hmm. And also in great literature, like um, The Death of Ivan Ilyich mm -hmm. by Tolstoy. Yeah. And, and I've, uh, but, but it wasn't only people who were on the deathbeds because, uh, you know, Connie Goldman and yes. you know, John Robinson, yes. um, Rick, uh, Rick Moody. We know so many people together in the uh -huh. conscious aging movement. Yes. Who've made this pivot. And I, all of a sudden, just, it just thought to me, I just realized, I believe there, there's this tangible world of old souls that are living in an alternate reality simultaneously to the rest of society, and that we, had, we were finding each other, and that one by one, we were recognizing that we were living in this alternate reality, and it was just joyful and um, awesome and old people's best kept secret, but not every old person's no. best, best no. kept secret, but just some of us. Yeah, it's not automatic. No, you have to, you have to put in, well, let's put it this way. You have to put in many, 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 many years of work. Yes. And then, and then something has to happen. Yes. And it may not be you. I mean, it's one of those things I don't think you can make happen. Right. All you can do is make yourself receptive. Yes. You can't make a mystical experience happen. No. <laughs> but yeah. you can make yourself receptive to it and pray for it and put yourself in situations like I did walking in the cemetery without a mask, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I reached a tipping point. Yeah. Well, tell us more about, because um, I know the other day you explained to me about uh, the purpose of aging and, you know, it's not that you realized that there's a real mean, you know, that it is meaningful. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, well, I sort of told it in my uh, marketing story a while ago. Uh, when we're young, we need masks and we need tangible goals. 
society asks of us that we be productive and useful and and we we uh, do so to the best of our ability if we want to make a living if we want to you know find spouses and have children there's we're busy with all that stuff mm-hmm. um and um and it's appropriate for those various life stages now you can do that better or worse you know you can go through like i did even the con- even business i did business better because i was trying to do it spiritually and consciously mm-hmm. but but nevertheless as long as i was in that part of my life cycle that required me to function and perform in certain ways to fit into mainstream society um even my spirituality was in a, a tempered context mm-hmm. um it it takes more courage than i had until this experience when i was 74 mm-hmm. and most people don't have until their deathbeds honestly so i'm so thrilled to have whatever time i have to um to take advantage of whatever freedom we have you know to, to not be the kind of person that and I understand that everybody is financially independent or, or even, I mean, I know people who are financially marginal who have found freedom because they broke free. Yes. You know, it's like, you don't have to be rich to break free. There, there comes to be a time when you say to yourself, I am not going to be productive and useful in the ways I used to be. I am going to march to my inner drummer and, um, and, and take the risk of, uh, uh, well, I, I, you know, I tell the story in the book of, I might just give a great example. Um, I had a, a neighbor, Shelly, who, um, she was a former actress. I was living in LA at the time. And uh, she and I met, she was already in her late seventies, I guess, when we met and we walked our dogs together every day and just loved spending time together. And um, she be- started becoming uh, forgetful. You know, she would forget when I was coming and this and that. Um, uh, and then she became a little bit more forgetful. And one day I went, I went to her house and her uh, middle-aged daughter, who was an LA lawyer, opened the door and said that her mother no longer lived there. Wouldn't tell me where she'd gone or what had happened. Oh. This is not a hap- This part is not the happy story. Yeah. You know, we, we all want it. We all think of or, or are jealous of mothers whose daughters take such good care of them. But there's some of us, not me, but there, there are some people whose daughters um, uh, are uh, just trying to get their hands on the inheritance. Sure. <laughs> I hate to yeah. say it. I know. You know we, we have the whole bag of tricks. I know. So anyway, she had moved Shelly to um, an, uh, an Alzheimer's facility um, and put the house up for sale. And, um, and Shelly was not at that stage yet. This was uh, early in her diagnosis. And um, she lost all of her rights and everything. Well, somehow some great lawyer, she, she managed to communicate to the um, a facility that took her case on. And um, she loaded, she got her life back. She, and she was wealthy, so she could afford full-time care. But sure. um, she loaded her own belongings back into a taxi and, and came back home. And and uh, I hadn't known where she was. Nobody knew. I, I opened the door one day and there she is standing there with her dogs, um, just grinning from ear to ear. And, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> that's also a story of being fierce with age. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
Yeah, and she's she's realistic. She doesn't know how long this can last, but it wasn't yet, and it's going to be on her own terms. She got her dogs back. Uh-huh. I mean, my God, what a story. Oh, and, that is a great story, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I found when you say aging has a purpose of its own, that that is not typically what a younger person would think of as a story of triumph. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like winning the Olympics. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's like a triumph of the human spirit to say, I'm here. This is who I am. I am going to um, not, not waste any more time in my life. Um, not, not speaking out for myself, not um, doing what's important to me, um, worrying about other people, what other people think, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, uh, but, but I think it has a bigger purpose because if you believe that monks and monasteries have a purpose, you know, or contemplatives yeah. or, um, or poets or artists or bird watchers, I mean, you know, more and more, I think we realize that we need people who can see beyond the crisis of the moment, respond if necessary and, and respond as we can. But there's also a place in this world for people who have the time and the spirit and the will to appreciate the blade of grass growing, growing up and the butterfly. You know, we're, we're not going to save this planet if there aren't people around to role model mm-hmm. um, that there's things worth saving. Yes, I, I really believe in the power of role models and seeking them out um, because we need, you know, again, that wisdom, that that guiding light, you know, and inspiration and hope, I think, also. You know, yeah, and being one, not and just seeking one. Be, no, be one. Yeah, and, and and retraining yourself. I think so many people, when they move the, through the transition into retirement, think they're just going to replace their old career with a new career. Uh-huh. They just get busy. They just get busy with new stuff. And I think the reason so many of us woke up during COVID, I have to say was that we had all kinds of time on our hand, many of us, mm-hmm. uh, if we were lucky enough not to be sick and not to, you know, not to, and to be able to sequester in a safe place. We have lots of time on our hands. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to have said they thought they were extra extroverts and it turns out that they're introverts <laughs> or, or, or that they finally got to read every book that they'd ever wanted to read. Yes. Um, or, or that they, uh, for me, I named every tree on my property. <laughs> every tree is a name. Oh, that's cool. You know? Well, you know, and again, you're right. And what I found interesting is people at all ages have talked about reevaluating their lives, resetting their lives, you know, not, in fact, I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, job movement and how many people are either switching jobs or totally doing something different at all ages, you know? Well, absolutely. But there's a continuum. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, you can be a 20 year old and a spiritual person. You still have to figure out how you can get food on the table. And that takes a different kind of, that makes use of your brain, your will, your soul in ways differently than basically some of us um, can go to an extreme now. We can be the extreme end of the continuum and have all of our time to role model what it means to be, to have arrived. Yes. That's what I was talking about earlier. Yes. What have we been seeking? <laughs> you know, and, and the book discusses the fact that 
The problem with the way the life cycle is, is um, thought of is it starts at birth and most of the sociologists like Piaget felt like your personality was completely formed by six years of age. Um, Erickson and some of the others got as far as midlife. Maslow revisited his model and came back and added older age. But, you know, um, uh, I felt that, that there was something that we're born seeking. Something happens before we're born that we feel that we separate from. Mm-hmm. That was a mystical experience that I had, is that something happens with the very fact of birth that um, we feel that we something is wrong and that we must have had something to do with it. <laughs> uh-huh. And we spe- and, and it's, you know, we spent our whole lives like denying that, trying to, not to realize that, not paying it attention, but it's a silent driver that doesn't even realize it's, it's driving a lot of our spirituality as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, F-A-U-X, faux spirituality out there. Yes. You know, yes. Um, uh, of people who are just covering up you'll know that your spirituality is faux if you have been meditating, praying, um, being a good person, making amends for years and years and years, and you still think something's missing. You know, you you, you may still be a spiritual person, you still may be seeking, but um, in the making of an old soul, which is, you know, the the title of the book, um, I talk a lot about people who, who, despite their circumstances, um, moved past the feeling that something was wrong with them or something was wrong that they had to fix um, or that there was something more that they needed. So, I mean, as an example, Ramdas, as spiritual as he was, he, he didn't really get what it meant to arrive until he had a massive stroke. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And, and um, so I tell the story in the book about him as well. And um, uh, and tell some stories on some other people like Dalai Lama and, you know, many, many of the people who are, um, are very respected spiritual teachers, um, just the mere fact of their being so external and out there in the world may or may not be living their message. And so for me, the real role models of of the purpose of aging uh, include, I won't say it's only exclusively, but it includes the person who's in a wheelchair in an assisted living facility, whose great joy in life is looking out the window um, and seeing the shadow change on the leaves and, and, um, and gets to know the squirrels, the squirrels, you know, it's, um, it's not the person who's being productive in in the way society um, appreciates and acknowledges people. And that's the real, a long time ago, you asked me the question, why aren't I a, a spokesperson? Yeah, I, I would say it's a perfect storm because the media doesn't want me um, particularly. And as an example, um, I, I, was, I was interviewed recently and, and I was, uh, by somebody who thinks that he's an expert in the field of aging. And he he was saying that he, he believes that success, successful aging consists of, you know, you know, making sure you're busy, you know, having uh, securing your legacy, um, having having successful children, 
you know, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And, and I just had to stop them on my tracks. And I said, does that mean that a person, you know, who's um, living in a wheelchair and can't do any of those things and, and kids disowned her or whatever, you know, yeah. that she can't, she can't, she's not aging successfully. And he said, absolutely not. So, you know, society wants us to stay active and involved. So we'll continue to purchase their products and, you know, use their vitamins and, you know, use their plastic surgery. Right, right. Society doesn't really want us to, successful aging in my mind means not aging at all. You know, trying your best to um, stay in midlife. And um, so it's not a popular message if you want to get advertisers and, you know. Yeah, but it, no, you're right. You're right. It, it's such a challenge, but it's so... Your message is so refreshing because it is about, you know, finally being comfortable with who you are. And yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the books, many of the books that I cite in, that, in my book, and I'm so yeah. inspired by so many of them, it turns out to be their last book. You know, it's like I, I, either they stopped writing because they'd said it all or, or they, uh, they passed away between... I mean, I, I have some wonderful authors in there who I interviewed and, or had, a, uh, I, know you, I know you know I run the Saging Book Club. I had them on as guests of the Saging Book Club and, the, and they look like they're in the peak of health and fitness and between their last book and what was gonna be their next book, they pass away. So um, I, I don't know if there is such a thing as, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, I want another 30 years, trust me. You know, yes. I don't wanna go anywhere soon, but, um, it would be such a shame to know what I know now and then to pass away early, you know, it's sort of like, or, or, or to learn what I learn on your deathbed and not have time to live out of the space. Right. right. No, that's, that's, well, I want to shift gears just a little bit yeah. um, because my, I'm working on a book and the book is called Breadcrumb Legacy. Now, I don't want to say too much about it uh, right now because I want to hear what you have to say, because it really is about this generativity. And so I'm into this legacy part, but I really think you're going to have an interesting take. So how, how do you define, what's legacy mean to you? Well, first of all, may I clarify yeah. that um, different activity, activities and actions are appropriate for different life stages. Yeah. And you are younger than me. And even if you weren't, you are at a different life stage. You just are. And I was there five years ago. So, you know, it's, um, uh, I, I would have no judgment. And I'm, I'm so grateful that, that we have uh, people my age who are still uh, wanting to protest and, and, and organize voter registration. I'm so glad for them. Um, and you can be in my life stage and still be active in that way if you truly called for that. But uh -huh. it's, it's just that some of us aren't called for that anymore. So, you I know, it's it. like, it's being honest to you know, it's being honest to yourself. Yeah. So you ask me, what is a legacy? Yeah. Or what's it mean to you? Well, um, so I got my uh, brown belt in karate when I was young, ah. and and my sensei said to me, I was very 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 nervous about passing from I guess it was green belt to brown belt, and there's a big test and there's a hundred people around there and it's it's just it's a scary thing, and I said to him. I am really terrified of that I'm going to get scared when I'm taking my test and mess up and, and 
and, um, and not be able to get my brown belt. And he said to me, he said, it's who you, who you have become by pursuing your brown belt that shows up on that day. And all you have to do is be ordinary. Okay, now hold on a second. That is way too good. Um, it's who you have become. Yes, living your life every day. Right. Now, wait a second. It's who you have become and who you show up. Say that again on that day. Okay. All right. Who, who, who you, I don't know if I can say it twice. Well, he said yeah, it who you have become and who show up. And, 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 and who shows up on that day okay. is basic as your ordinary self is. In other words, who you've become by practicing every day is now your ordinary self. So don't come here to be extraordinary. Come here to be ordinary. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's, I have also felt that way. I lived my life that way, therefore. And so it's the same thing about legacy. It's legacy is uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is your notion of breadcrumb. Um, no, it is. Legacy. I think you're onto something, but go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, it's like, um, to me, it's far more important to be kind to the person who's, um, uh, having trouble getting on the bus, you know, giving giving them a, a little lift onto the bus, or uh -huh. uh, not being mad at the at the um, the waiter who's having a, a rough day, you know. Um, to me, it's 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 living life out of a place of um, love and and righteous righteous um, behavior uh, all day every day um, that accumulates to who you are in the present moment. And uh, I think that probably has more impact ultimately than uh, any, you know, any particular thing that I do going yeah. on Oprah, for instance, yeah. you know, people will always get excited about the fact that I've been on Oprah, but um, as you heard from my experience and, yeah. and, you know, I mean, I know I've done good with my books and all that, but um, I, I'm much more at this point of my life, what's, you know, my first phone call after publishing the book was to my grandsons. Nice. Um, and I didn't mention my book. I want to know how they are. <laughs> yeah. They don't care. They don't think of grandma, the writer, you know, yeah. they think of grandma, the one that's going to send them, the, ask them what they wanted for their birthday. So they wanted a particular type of Lego, you know, yeah. it's like, we have to live our lives in our own skins. Yes. Well, Carol, that's exactly. Okay. So I created this concept and it came to me actually, I, I'm not exactly sure how it came to me because I've been on this for a couple of years now, but um, legacy was one of the themes that emerged out of my last book called Leading with Wisdom, Sage Advice from 100 Experts. Yeah. And um, so- Wonderful book. Yeah, so I've been on this, you know, legacy kind of path. And so this breadcrumb legacy, it's exactly that. It's like, um, it, it, often in workshops, I'll say to people, when we do, when do we leave our legacy? And people will say, well, when we leave, I say, well, leave what? And they'll say, well, leave, leave a job, leave a career, leave, leave the earth when we die. And I said, well, what about when we leave this conversation? What about when we leave this meeting, you know, and this interaction? So we're leaving it all the time. And so my premise is if we are aware of legacy on a daily basis, then the idea is to live our life in a way that we want to be remembered. You yes. Know? Yeah. And so anyway, and so, and then the chapters of the book, I, I integrate a lot of the saging principles. So, you know, what is it, what does this mean? So anyway, but, um, and I'm almost done. I'm, you know, 
but um, I definitely will integrate this um, because I loved what you just said, um, the karate example. Um, what else comes to mind given what I just said? Well, I, I, think, you're really on, I, I think you're really onto something. The only, if I could play devil's no, advocate. Please. Yes. The, the only thing I would say is, is that um, I've moved beyond caring about being remembered. Okay. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, you've heard about be here now and living yes. in the present moment. Well, where is being remembered in that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what I care about right now is that I'm fully present for our interaction. Mm -hmm. um, to me, being remembered it, it has an element of ego in it. Okay. Yes, okay. So I'd rather have, I'd rather be- Like be a nobody. Yes, thank you. That's, I would say that about half my book is about um, being a nobody. And, and, and I learned that one from Ram Dass. Yes, yes. Uh, when he had his stroke, mm -hmm. um, or maybe it was before his stroke, um, his guru said to him, you know, you are never going to become enlightened if you're trying to be remembered for being somebody. Mm -hmm. you know, you, you've got to be a nobody. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he didn't understand what that meant until he had his stroke. Because, mm -hmm. you know, until then, until then, um, he tells this wonderful story about how when he was in his 60s, he was giving um, a spiritual talk and uh, in front of a thousand people and he was going to show off how vi vigorous he was at 64. So he was going to jump up on the stage <laughs> and he missed and he, and um, he cut his leg and he gave the whole speech with his leg bleeding and um, nobody could hear a word. I'm sure they're all staring at his bleeding leg. And he was in agony and um, he said, you know, it took me many years to, it took, it, it took the stroke to realize that um, so much of spirituality and so much of vitality and so much of legacy is vanity. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to, is his life meaningful just sitting in a chair? He couldn't even talk. He couldn't feed himself. He just had to sit there and receive. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Um, I ask anybody, and I'm not asking this to you because I really do feel like, like you're onto something. Yeah, I, I talk about it just as a way of, like it can be a North Star, it can be a guiding light, you know? So instead of having road rage, you think, oh gosh, you know, kind of what you said about being nice to the waiter who, you know, but again, you're not doing it so that the waiter thinks you're a nice person. Right. You're doing it because that's the right thing to do. Right. Do, do you know about the... Um, the 36 righteous souls for whom God keeps the world alive? No, no. Okay, it's part of the um, Jewish tradition. And um, uh, it may be in the, in, I don't know if it's folk tradition or if it's actually in the Torah. I think it's in the Torah that there are, uh, which is the Holy Scripture. Yeah. That, that um, at any given time, there are 36 people who are, um, are so righteous that it's worth keeping the world going for those 36. Now, here's the thing is that those 36 don't know who they are. Huh. If you, if you think you are one or you might be one, you're not. Okay. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, and a modern interpretation, um, 
Rabbi Rami Shapiro has a modern interpretation. Um, he says that there's 36 at any given time, but since we aren't perfect human beings, there could be billions of people that are, you know, going in and out of that space that is being held by the 36. So, you know, I might be there five minutes right now, but not the next five minutes. Okay. You know, but, but um, I, I like that idea. And I like the idea that I can aspire to be that. I can hope to be that, but if I think I'm it, I'm probably not. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, there's a, there's a song. It was very popular several years ago, and I can't remember Joan. I think the uh, uh, musician was Joan. But anyway, the, basically the, the theme is, what if God is one of us? Just a slob-like oh, yeah one of us you know and I often think about that you know like wherever you are and whoever you're especially if I'm on like a subway or something like in New York I'll be you know like the people sitting next to me like hmm you know well I think I think um your discovery is humility uh-huh I think that's the key and legacy the way I got it um even in the conscious aging movement unfortunately Although I think there's, again, a lot of us waking up, um, you know, to leave the biggest legacy possible, like make sure your name is on the building, you know? Um, and um, I'm just, I'm just not there anymore. Yeah. And that's but I, th I, I, I think, I think partly, I, I'm sorry. I think partly because I've just been knocked down so much. Sure. You know, if you get knocked down enough by life, um, you know, 30, 30 books, which I each wanted each one to make the New York Times bestseller list. And um, it doesn't matter if 10,000 or 50,000 people read them. It, did, it didn't matter. All my publishers were disappointed. You know, you, you have 30 books, you got 30 disappointed publishers. It's only in the last three or four books where I've actually learned to be grateful, humble, grateful yes. yes you know put my two cents out there in the world and, and hope it makes a difference but well, not you know, it's so interesting. yeah it's so interesting carol because i i, I kind of i share that same you know i'm writing this book and the main motivation for me is really for my family you know this is part of my legacy so if something happened to me you know um, this is real. I'm trying to put all my best thoughts. I'm trying to put, I'm trying to put all my favorite quotes, quotes. I'm trying to cite everybody yeah. who I really admire and like, because this is really like my legacy. And, um, and, you know, it doesn't matter that people buy it because, um, and I'm, and I'm using a hybrid publisher. So I didn't want to spend the time. I've written five other books. I always found a publisher, but it took me a decade. And I it takes them another couple of years to bring them out. So, I mean, I don't have a decade. And so I, I don't have, I, no, we don't have, we don't have it. No, I don't <laughs> have another decade to waste. And so it's like, I'm just going to help pay for this. And, um, and so that it gets out there in the world. Um, you know, and I'm glad I went that way. And uh, so anyway, we'll see. But yeah, it was like, I don't have a decade to try to convince somebody that this is worthy of publishing. I'm just going to get it done. <laughs> so anyway, but you don't, you, but you don't you, and you don't know who you, you you're going to touch with it. I mean, that's, no. that's the thing I really do love about being a writer is, yeah, I, I once 
<laughs> I once went to a used bookstore and I found my own book on one of the shelves. And then it, it had been inscribed and said, I hope you love this book. Um, it, it, it was a very, it was really an important book to me. Um, and um, it was very meaningful. And my first thought was, oh my God, this is wonderful. My book was really meaningful to somebody. And my second thought is what the hell was it doing in a used bookstore? <laughs> Whoever they gave it to didn't want it. Or didn't oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> That is a great, great story, you yeah. know. And I also, I, I want to warn you about um, if you have children. Yeah. Um, of course, at this point, I've written so many books. You know, it's like my kids. I'm sure the book will go on on the bookshelf, you know. But it's like um, uh, I, I feel I feel a little sad. In the, another thing in the Jewish tradition, you you write this ethical will. Yeah. You know about that? Yes. I know about. I okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who's writing like a 300 page ethical will and like I know her kids they're not going to read it <laughs> <laughs> that is funny that is very right make it short here's here's my great advice you want to know about the making of an old soul keep your ethical will short and put an atm machine at your graves at your gravestone <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> That is great. Well, okay. I just have two more questions. One is I always like to ask, you know, what should, what do my listeners, what should they know that I didn't ask? What other words of wisdom? Actually, I just love what you just said. <laughs> like, is there something else that you want to close with? And then, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, I think for me, the big, I think things just got so bad with COVID. I mean, the hits just kept coming personally and societally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I realized that I think our generation of baby boomers put a big, a big um, stake in happiness. You know, we always thought of spiritual success and the, and the meaning of life as, as being to be happy. And I think we're in a period of life now where happiness is not necessarily a given. But um, my big revelation that day at the cemetery when I had this mystical experience was that there is a difference between feeling bad and feeling bad about yourself. And I hadn't even realized I had spent my whole life quietly, suddenly feeling bad about myself. But, you know, a lot of my, um, a lot of my masks, a lot of the 30 books that I wrote, a lot of the um, good things I was doing in the world, whatever was compensation for feeling of inadequacy of something that I thought I had done wrong. And um, the point of the mystical experience I had was that I realized that um, what I, th that sort of sense of seeking that I had that I value so much really came out of um, my original wound that I had no responsibility for. Mm -hmm. And that, um, and that a lot of the things that we do that we feel bad about are things that, that have come out of our unconscious. And you can't, you're not responsible for your unconscious mind and thoughts. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for trying to become more conscious, as Jung said. Jung said the purpose of life was to become more and more conscious. And that was, that was the revelation that I had is that I had been living you don't see the water you're swimming in yes and you can still be living a good spiritual life you can be writing great spiritual books you know that are meaningful right. Ram Dass wrote most of his books while he was in that asleep state and didn't know it 
Mm -hmm. um, so for me, the key was allowing myself all my feelings, not just to have myself judged by happiness, but to allow myself to feel sad um, and or angry, you know, whatever the feeling is. When you accept sadness, you're still sad. I think our generation thinks when you accept sadness, you're suddenly happy. Um, but again, there's a difference between feeling bad and how can you not feel bad right now about the world? Yes. But there is a big difference between feeling bad about the world and feeling bad about yourself. Yes, that is, honestly, and then, that is an, uh, an, a big insight for sure, Carol. Yeah, and, and I feel like this alternate universe of old souls, we can cry together yes. if we need to, if that's what it takes. You know, we can be witnesses to the world and, um, and have a tear on our cheek. There's, there's a lovely little Buddha that's, he's crying, you know? And it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's the purpose of old age is, you know, we, we came here to be, I, I feel like we came here to be, um, uh, to this age in life thinking we were gonna reap this um, legacy of our whole lives is, you know, transformation of society. And instead, you know, we perhaps the pur purpose of old age for us is to be a reckoning. Uh -huh. you know, and, and to, to sit here and witness of that. And, um, but you know, the other thing I wanna leave people with this is you can't stop bad things from happening, but you can't stop good things from happening either. When you give up control, uh -huh. that means that good things happen that when you don't expect them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's plenty of hope in this. Yes. Um, there's plenty of hope. And um, the fact that so many of us had a spiritual awakening during COVID, uh, it, it was a complete surprise and, and not very talked about. So I think we're finding each other now. Yes. I mean, you, you are right with me on this. We are resonating with each other. And yes. um, <laughs> when, when I show up at, at the, at the Saging Book Club or, you know, other, other groups I'm in, you know, we've, we've all grown so much. And um, uh, so that's exciting. I mean, I believe that the growing has to be for something. Yes. I don't know what, and I'm not going to name it, but you know, I, I think growing, becoming more and more consciousness has to be an end in itself. Yes. Well, that what is what needs. Yeah. What this world needs is more consciousness. Let's just say that more yeah. consciousness and more love. Yes. I totally agree. Well, my focus in this series is helping people make the rest of life, the best of life. And so I definitely want the rest to be the best for you, Carol. Oh, and gosh, I love it when our paths continue to cross either in the book club or, um, and I, I ordered your book. I can't wait till it arrives. So thank you very much for helping me. Okay. This was um, a, a joy. I, I just love being immersed in your energy. You're great. <laughs> well, ditto. <laughs> and, uh, your, your grandsons are very lucky. Okay. And your husband of 50 years is very lucky too. Sometimes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Carol.